Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. Hi, I'm Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Welcome to the On the Record podcast. We have a real treat for you this week. Um, the entire Furniture Today staff is here. Uh, for those of you who are just listening, you can't see all seven of us, but trust me, we are here. You'll hear from everybody shortly. For those of you who are watching this on Zoom, um, you can get to see us all. So welcome to 2021. Boy, is it off to an interesting start. We're going to talk about some of the issues that uh, that are popping up already. We've had our first Chapter 11 of the year. Um, we've got lots of uh, tariff issues popping up, anti-dumping issues Drop, uh, coming up. Markets are moving, so we're going to talk about all that and much, much more. Uh, but first, I'd like to introduce you to the newest member of our team, Sheila Long O'Mara, our executive editor and our new betting guru. Sheila, welcome to the team. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. So let's let's kick this off with you. Um, January Vegas market is traditionally the big introduction market for the betting industry. With that market moving to April, what do you th- what do you think the impact of that will be on the betting business, and and how will retailers and uh, betting producers adapt to that? I think what I'm seeing so far, um, a lot of manufacturers were planning for a January market, albeit a much smaller one. Um, and so what we'll see are some mid now there'll be mid market introductions of products um, coming through. So I'm seeing from manufacturers that I'm speaking with that those are coming, um, they're still moving ahead with those. They may bring them out a little bit later, not exactly when market would have been in January. So we'll see some of those come out mid-February. And some other um, manufacturers are moving forward um, with big introductions that they had planned for January. So they're going to start announcing them later this, this month. So we'll have some of those coming through. And then the ones that are really optimistic um, and very bullish on where the business is going as far as manufacturing goes, we'll see a double hit and we'll see new product from them in April as well. Um, And so that'll be fun. There'll be a lot of new product. Um, The question will be, can um, sleep retailers um, absorb all of the new product? Um, with the business being as strong as it is in, right now, um, folks are spending on furniture and mattresses. So there's the appetite there. Um, I think we'll see a lot of new innovative products come through. Speaking of optimistic, we have seen a number of companies making investments. Um, are recently, I, I just wrote a story about Ashley investing $1 billion, that's billion with a B, $1 billion over the next 18 months. Um, across all areas of the company, supply chain, technology, human resources. Um, but we, we've had other companies. Let me throw that out there. What are, what are some of the others of you hearing about com- how companies are um, leaning in or dealing with the changing conditions? Bill, I think I'd like to take that one on real quick. Um, we're seeing um, 
at least on the case goods side, some investment in in logistics. And when I say logistics, domestic warehouse capabilities. We have companies like um, Joffran, um, Maxwood Kids and Adult Bedroom Furniture. Um, Home Meridian's got a new warehouse that they're working on. Riverside Furniture. These are companies that are all making investments in the distribution side of their business because I think they obviously see a need to um, you know, be closer to some of the ports um, along the East Coast and flow those goods that are we all know are in such high demand to retailers up and down the East Coast. These, these, most of these places are pretty well strategically positioned um, you know, on the eastern seaboard, so they can get all the way down to you know to Miami, up up to as far as Boston and the New England area within probably a day and a half. Interesting, Powell. Would you want to? Did you want to add something? Yeah, I, th- I think one thing. I've recently visited two plants, domestic upholstery plants, and um, the thing is, these are subsidiaries of Samson. Um, an Asian company, but um, they've been making a big effort over the last couple of years to um, bring their upholstery, you know, bring their upholstery business closer to the market. Um, I'm talking Universal, which which fired up the old Southern Furniture plant in Conover, and Craftmaster over at Hidden Night in Alexander County, and now Lenore. Universal, they got this thing going during the pandemic. And um, they, they had stocked up very early um, before Chinese New Year on a lot of fabric. So they were able to hit the ground running with some raw material without as many raw material issues. And they are currently building that plant up to capacity. Craftmaster, which is, a, is, is an established um, um, upholstery producer, they um, converted um, one of the former Boy Hill facilities or heritage home facilities in Lenore to upholstery production, which puts them in a kind of a better labor market. Um, they face a lot of competition in Alexander County. They got people like um, Taylor King, um, Mitchell Gold, um, Paladin, numerous others. Um, they they've also they also bought big on um, on fabric early on before all this all this hit. And they actually invested in additional warehouse space offsite to keep that fabric in hand. With a, as with a lot of people, the only constraints on these guys right now are, is labor. And um, Craftmaster has been very involved, along with some other manufacturers, in what they call the Furniture Academy, which has just graduated its eighth class out of Catawba Valley Community College with 100% placement. They are training for upholsters and sewers. That's what they need, um, those skilled positions. And they're um, the Craftmaster, I know they're looking at adding between Lenore and expansions in Alexander County around 40% of their capacity to help them catch up on um, catch up on their backlog. It's it's interesting that you mentioned them, uh, you know, a, a, a Chinese company coming domestic. And also, Tom, you mentioned trying to position goods closer to market. That was one of the things I found interesting with Ashley is um, they already have manufacturing in Pennsylvania, Mississippi, Arcadia, Wisconsin, um, and California, all kind of the perimeter. And they're opening a new plant this year in Ohio. 
which will be their first manufacturing in Ohio, dead center um, of the country with the specific goal of trying to position goods closer to market. Um, it seems with e-commerce, that's becoming really important, right? Yeah. Speed to market. Pal, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to, you know, when you're talking along those lines, we should give a uh, nod to Lane, Lane Home Furnishings, or uh, long, known for a long time as United. I believe they have, what, nine manufacturing facilities um, from the West Coast to the East Coast. Mm. They're also taking that position of, of producing closer to market. You know, as I as I listen to this and as we've been talking about it, one of the things that I find really interesting is we keep hearing people say, well, we don't know how long this demand is going to last. We don't know how long we're going to have this kind of pressure to get the goods out. And yet when it comes to putting their money and investment out there, companies are, and this includes retailers, are really setting themselves up for growth and capacity and growth in reaching uh, the end customer. I mean, we've seen retailers that are steadily opening new stores uh, in the second half of 2020 and plans to go ahead and do that into 2021 as well. Plus these companies that are um, shifting production and adding capacity on their production. So it's been really interesting that there's been that dichotomy between some concern about the demand, but also where they're really putting their investment. And I'd like to um, make add a comment that I've I've heard is that people are people are playing catch up right now. We all know that everybody is, and the companies I'm talking to who are aggressive about their capacity expansion, they believe that the first companies to get to more normalized lead times are going to be the ones who are going to have the biggest long term success once this does die down. We're looking to gain more floor space um, and keep that floor space once things settle out. Looks like it's going to be a market share battle in 2021. Speaking to that retail side a little bit, the folks I've talked to are in kind of the same boat on that expansion. Obviously, you know, new store planning, things like that is something that's been in the work for a long time for a lot of those folks. These are not, you know, 2020 plans made, but they are continuing with those and they're putting a lot of money, especially into things that they can change quickly, like digital spaces, new websites, chat things, things like that and e-commerce, because they are recognizing that this is a short-term bubble, but that these changes were kind of a long time coming for a lot of those folks. So a lot of the investments they're doing are things that they've been meaning to do, but now because they have kind of the sales to back that up and the reason to, they're moving forward with that. And a lot of folks I've heard, you know, they're predicting this kind of boom to sort of edge out over the summer as vaccines roll out, things like that, but that these changes are going to be really long-term to them. They want to kind of grab that customer while they're looking so they don't lose them to e-commerce or a competitor, because if they can serve these customers right now, their thought is they will be back if they can do it well. So they want to prepare for those customers down the line as well. It's interesting. We heard a number of people at the leadership conference in December use the phrase, never let a good crisis go to waste. And so <laughs> a lot of changes that had been kind of coming over the last several years or things people were planning to do, they're really using this opportunity, this disruption um, to kind of lean in. And I think that's what's going to separate the winners and the losers, right? Because you know there's not going to be enough business. There's not going to be enough supply. Some folks are not going to be able to make it to the other side. Um so it's, I think those who lean in are going to win. And did you want to say something? 
Yeah, Kevin Brown and during our leadership conference talked about it being a season and about those companies that jump on the opportunity instead of seeing it as a crisis. And it's been interesting with uh, both brick and mortar and e-commerce companies beefing up their websites. We've been writing about how the website is the new front door. And even though we've been talking about omni-channel for a while, um, it truly is is there now where the customer will start their journey online and end in store or start in store and end up going home and purchasing the product. And you really have to be wherever they are, whenever they are. Um, you know, I was talking to um, a retailer in Memphis, Tennessee, that had people answering phones from eight in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, but they're a FedEx hub. And so they were thinking about adding call center overnight just because people who work third shift, you know, tend to shop while they're on break. So it's just interesting. It's more of a 24 hour a day. Your website really needs to be updated and ready to go. Interesting. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about market disruption. And uh, one of the things that we've seen pop up, obviously, Las Vegas moved from January to April. Um, High Point moved from April to June. And first Tuesday, just, and and, uh, I guess, Powell, we'll kick this off with you because you are the the guy who has been um, voluntarily tasked with keeping track of the rapidly growing number of companies. (laughs) Um, Yes. Every day we update the list with new folks who are coming to First Tuesday. And we just had our first, first, first Tuesday of the year. Say that five times fast. Yeah. Um, I, and I'd love to hear everybody kind of weigh in on what do you think about this concept of uh, almost of a, a monthly market um, on demand? Okay, well, um, yeah, there are some developments there. The first couple of editions weren't hugely attended, which I think was expected. I think the organizers really wanted to establish uh, First Tuesday and start developing consistency. Um, I was talking yesterday with Guy Ray, who kind of built this whole idea out for the furniture for our sector. Um, And he said the keys are for success are new product and a thorough integrated commitment from senior management through the sales team to the factory. Uh, he said a couple of it, he was, you know, they do have a committee now. And he said in some of the conversations, people were saying, well, I didn't really see anybody. Well, they had maybe the senior vice president of marketing there, and that was it. Uh, people, Manwa and a couple of others, in addition to Manwa, in Manwa's case, having multiple new groups and covers, um, they have their senior management is all in with the sales teams. They had eight separate sales teams in town, and they saw retailers from the Northeast, the West Coast, what the Texas, I can't remember if it was the West Coast, the Midwest, and Florida. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they got some people in the house, and they got between December and, uh, and this month, they've had 18 unique re- retail store visitors, buying teams in their showroom just because of First Tuesday. It's kind of building on this whole idea of keeping the showroom available throughout the year to create a safe, comfortable shopping experience for retailers who, in some cases I'm hearing, even think that pre-market's going to be too, you know, they, they, it's going to be too many people. And they, and some of these big guys like the idea of being able to be in there by themselves, one-on-one, and with the postponement of April market, They've come out now. We just um, had in the newsletter today. They're going to have a a first Tuesday every month, except for June and 
you know, when High Point takes place in October, High Point, um, there's going to be new product flowing in um, that was originally scheduled for April market. That's going to be showing up next month in some in some cases. So they're looking at February and March being really big. But, yeah, it's like these guys who, who say, oh, I'm going to open for pre-market. And they're, you know, well, we had 300 exhibitors. If they aren't on the horn, you know, with their sales teams or with their customers, you know, it doesn't cost them anything, but they, they aren't going to be able to expect big, big business out of it. Man, yeah. Blanc, you know, he didn't, he didn't give me an exact number, but he wrote a couple of deals that totaled in the hundreds of containers yesterday. Mm-hmm. So that's nothing to sneeze at. Worth opening your showroom. And it's not just High Point either. I mean, we we just had a story um, that Ann wrote about ITA changing their show date, the Showtime show date. And interestingly, they're not pushing it back further into the year. They made it a little bit earlier, and they're trying to spread it out and take advantage of High Point pre-market and High Point market as well as Showtime. So they're looking to kind of spread out their attraction, if you will to um, customers. And it's sort of that same thing that we see retailers doing with their customers. You know, the idea of being where their customers are and when their customers need to shop and just being available to them. Well, I wasn't down there yet this week. I was down there in December, but Tom, you were there and I'd kind of be interested to hear what you had saw and what you heard. Well, I think there's some, um, yeah, I was over um, at, Speaking to Manoir yesterday, um, or I'm sorry, on um, Tuesday uh, as well. And, you know, it, it, they were one of the exceptions. I think there were some folks that were perhaps a little bit disappointed, in, but not, not surprisingly so because the traffic was light. Well, they kind of expected that. But everybody that I spoke to is looking forward to March, February and March realizing there is going to be more new product flowing in and that um, this is an opportunity for them to kind of spread out their resources a little bit more instead of having all the work piled up twice a year as regards to high point, for example, now it could be spread out over many different months and having different retailers come in. um, This gives the retailers flexibility. You know, they, if they don't want to, come to, to pre-market, for example, they were a little uncomfortable with that. They can come in February and March and probably expect to see some great things. But, you know, talking to uh, Len Burke uh, the other day at Klausner, you know, they're, they're going to use this as an opportunity to have retailers in and, and educate them on a more regular basis about the line. The showroom will be set up continually like a retail space, essentially, with some adjustments. We go into the big markets, but it'll give them a chance to do virtual uh, video tours on an ongoing basis because they, they're they're ready. These folks are going to be market ready um, that participate almost every month, which is really a big deal. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Tricia again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us.
So I have a question related to this. Is this going to change what the major markets are like? I mean, the two Vegas and the two high point markets, are they going to become something different? A good question. I think we'll, we may see some of the attendance spread out and maybe a little bit less attendance at, at pre-markets or even markets, perhaps. Not, not dramatically like we saw this past October. But that said, um, you know, I think people, you know, they'll, it gives the market authority challenge, too, in terms of getting some real numbers in terms of who is coming in throughout the year. Because even with pre-market, they need to get better counts to justify the funding request. Um, there's gonna, this is going to be a big shift in how people shop, I think, going forward. Well, I, it's I interesting because it's such a it's such a money maker for high point, you know, that to have the market and we experienced such a loss in 2020 to have these monthly markets. Will that result in more funds coming into the city with people coming in town? It'll be interesting as time goes on with the more frequent markets, if that affects, you know, the economic. That's a good point. That's a good point, Anne, because um, the high point market authority is looking. They're working with they're on the first Tuesday committee and they are working on ways to track this attendance and you know they they are interested in looking at this as maybe getting increased funding so you're you're on target there what I find somewhat ironic is we're talking about um traffic at first Tuesday and people are complaining that traffic was low and an event that was created to help retailers avoid traffic if there were a lot of people there, they wouldn't be happy. The purpose. I, I think people need to understand if you're participating in <laughs> Tuesday and the idea is you're going to open your showroom and people are going to swing by on impulse, you have missed the point. The purpose of First Tuesday is to allow you to schedule appointments with your key customers or with new potential customers. So you know, anybody who just threw open the doors and thought folks were going to stroll by and walk in, I think are likely to be disappointed. I think the people who are going to be successful are people who have changed their new product introduction cadence so that they've got a reason for people to come by who are working throughout their organization. And pal, you said it from senior management right down to your regional sales rep. I mean, you have to make sure that all of your reps are on the phone with their key customers and scheduling appointments. There's a, you know, again, this is not like high point market where you can live off other people's traffic. This is a new paradigm and it's an appointment paradigm. And, and so I think that's a really important thing that people need to realize as we go forward here. This is not just a monthly market. It was interesting when we were at Showtime in November, they talked about the quality of the appointments. Um, a lot of the retailers normally would come in for five or 10 minutes and they would stay for two or three hours. And, uh, and they would have much more in-depth conversations, and they seem to be more appreciative of that. So it'll be interesting if that continues. Yeah, and speaking to retailer experience, from the folks that I spoke with who went to High Point Market, for example, in October, when it was so much slower, those folks really enjoyed that experience. You know, I think everybody missed the hustle and the bustle and the social activities and seeing their buddies and things like that. But the folks who went said that they got really good time in, especially smaller folks who said that they've been using companies for years, working with these manufacturers, they've never met, you know, top of the company. This time they got to sit down with the CEOs, with the VPs of sales and have really good conversations and make really good connections. So while, you know, manufacturers may not be happy about the, the amount of traffic coming in, I think that 
they're getting really good quality time that a lot of retailers really appreciate. And retailers are planning to make more visits to market this year. I mean, multiple retailers that I've spoken with afterwards have said like they plan to come in to see very specific folks when they come in because they want to keep making those really deep connections. You know, a lot of them got a really big scare in all of this as folks dropped them, as orders got worse, as they saw their sales rep become less communicative about what's going on. And that really made them change up the way they want to have these relationships. And not one person that I've spoken to about this upcoming year in 2021 said that they are going to approach markets the same. Every retailer is looking at doing it a little differently. And almost every single one of them said they're looking to make themselves more important and to make deeper connections with their manufacturing partners. So, you know, while you may only get one in, you could have a customer for life if you do this right. So I think, like you said, Bill, it's all about finding out who's going to be coming out because they're pretty open about it. I mean, they all said they like having those longer conversations. They're looking to do it again. So, you know, even if they only make one extra trip out, if you can get them on that one extra trip, I think that's worth everybody's time. Following up on that, Eddie, and after this point, I'm going to shut up for a while because I feel like I'm running another one. Um, and Vicki, you are asking about the effect on markets, and Eddie, you raised a great point about the amount of time. I think a lot of people are going to do some major shopping, locking up with some of their bigger vendors at events like pre-market at First Tuesday. And that's going to be good for these smaller exhibitors, I think. They're going to have more time, I think, at market to maybe do a little more exploring. Mm-hmm. Sheila, let me ask you to put on your, your previous role hat. You Before you rejoined Furniture Today, you were at one of the, the largest um, home furnishings and bedding marketing firms. And so if you were coaching one of your clients how to take advantage of First Tuesday and how to adapt in this new environment, let me ask your opinion. What, what would you tell them? I would say meet your customers where they are. If they're in High Point at First Tuesday, then you need to be there and you need to be ready with something new for them to see. Um, Be it fresh fabric, fresh finishes, new collections. And I know that's a big investment, Um, but we all know retailers don't just want to walk into a showroom and see what they are already selling on their floor right? It's all about new and the latest and the best. Um, Take advantage of the time. And if your customers are at First Tuesday, that's where you need to meet them. Um, And I think it goes back to Powell saying from the top down, you know, be in touch with that sales team and find out which retailers are going. And if they're important, an important part of your business and they're going to be there, then, you know, figure out a plan, make a a strategic new product plan and put it in place. Great advice. I hope folks are listening. If not, hit the playback button. Listen to that again. (laughs) Play it a couple times. You know, Powell said something earlier about his trip um, to factories in the Hickory area that I've been hearing over and over again for the last five months from former clients, as well as, um, you know, news sources and manufacturers embedding the labor market right now is extremely tight um, across all categories. Um, And I think that challenge will continue into this first quarter and maybe even into second Um, manufacturers are struggling to keep up with this increased demand that COVID delivered. 
Um, and I don't think anybody saw that coming. And now the struggle, be it, you know, empl- potential employees have these subsidized um, government help coming through and finding folks who are willing and want to work is a real struggle. Uh, navigating that is a tricky thing for all of our um, manufacturers in the industry. And it's, and I know that Catawba Valley Community College up in Hickory has a great program in place. And it sounds like um, Craftmaster has been able to tap into that for some of their employers, employees. Yeah, I don't think they can turn people out of there fast enough. I mean, I think how you said 100%, right? 100% employment, as fast as they come out, they're hired. They jobs waiting for them when they come. Doesn't yeah. Mississippi also have a program like that as well? Uh, some kind of upholstery program? I thought there was something down there as, uh, associated with the upholsters. I'm not sure if that's still going or not. Oh, okay. It, I, it, I, I don't want to really say. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're coming around to, uh, to about our time here, but I would like to just kind of go around the table. It's a new year. It's always a chance to look at, you know, what are the issues that we think we're going to confront? What do we think are the most important things? One of the cool things is everybody here has a slightly different beat, a slightly different area that they get to focus on. Um, so I'd like you each to kind of just in a couple of words, a couple of sentences, if you're feeling loquacious, as much as you want, but just kind of go around and talk about what are you, what are the issues, what are the things you're going to think about following this year? And I'll start so you give you all just a, a quick chance um, to kind of ponder while I pontificate. Um, one of the things I'm going to watch this year is uh, retail consolidation and the switch, uh, how successfully brick and mortar retailers can make that transition to beefing up their e-commerce operations and how successfully they can convince consumers to come back in the store by making them feel safe um, and by making sure that they can get them the product in a more timely fashion and give them more transparency um, in the supply chain. I think those retailers who can start to use that Pizza Hut model, you know, your sofa is in the oven, your sofa is in the truck, your sofa will be arriving in an hour. I think in the long term, that's going to be a big deal. And the reason I'm thinking consolidation is here we are in January. And once again, we're talking about a chapter 11 of a uh, of what looked to be a big retailer. It was just around this time last year that Art Van um, went out of business, closed its doors, and now we have Loves, um, which is tried to kind of pick up that mantle. Um, they've turned back some of the stores that they bought to, uh, to the Schultz organization or to Levin. And uh, now just recently they filed chapter 11. So uh, that's one of the things that I'm going to watch this year to see which retailers can emerge stronger from this and, and who won't make the cut. So let me throw it up there. Who'd like to go next? Nice thing about Zoom is we can actually see each other. You folks. I've got are- one. All right, Sheila, go. Supply chain struggles. Um, especially on the betting side, um, manufacturers are having a hard time getting materials to make all of these mattresses that consumers are buying. Um, so there's a real slowdown there that, um, you know, they can't deliver the mattresses unless they can get the materials to build them that. And then also the, the labor shortage, I think that's going to impact everybody. Okay. Powell. Price increases. Um, Ouch. 
they've already gone up some, they got to go up again. Yep. And if you're a retailer and are continually beating your vendors up on price, it's not a, Sheila mentioned supply chain, that's way more expensive. Cans to the Midwest that were $4,500 a year ago are 2000 now. Phone prices are about to increase, I think, what, the fourth time mm-hmm. in, in, in a couple of months? You know, the price increases are coming, and you know this this industry has suffered from um, price, you know, virtual price deflation for years. It's time for an increase. Okay, somebody else. I'm going to call it. You ready? Go. Sharpening the saw. And when I say for a case goods guy, that's right. That's right. You know, it's one of the things that Stephen Covey talks about in seven, the uh, habits of highly effective people. Um, But um, seven habits, I should say. Um, But that in that this case, we're talking about, Bill, you alluded to earlier investments, and it's all about finding ways to better serve your customers. And I think that's really going to be what what people are looking for in this year and ahead, Um, whether it's facility expansion, you know, Gat Creek is a great example. They're they're looking to grow their capacity um, to serve their customers better, shorten lead times, March Parson, making a tough decision to get out of 22 or so case goods collections and move all its production to Mexico. It's all about better serving the customers, shoring up your relationships, um, you know, basically paying attention, becoming more important to your source partners overseas. So all these things are part of the toolbox, part of the uh, the sharpening the saw of um, be, being able to be more important and, and more flexible and more customer service oriented to your customer base. Okay. From a retail point of view, that being where your customers are at, I think I'm going to keep an eye on that as far as like BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store, curbside. Will those continue even after the pandemic has ended? And then from a technology point of view, you know, how we haven't talked about you about augmented and virtual reality and how much those are being used to sell product online. Um, you know, during this time now, especially when people can't go into stores, but even after they reopen, will customers still continue to use these new types of technology, you know, to purchase product? I, and while on that point, 3D imaging, I want to just give a shout out to one of our sister publications. For folks who did not see the January cover of Home Accents today, everybody knows that Hat uses full room scenes on their cover. Home Accents today, if you look at the cover, it's a beautiful, beautiful room scene, and none of it is real. That cover is a complete 3D image that was created exclusively for Home Accents by Marks and Technologies, right down to the shadows on the floor and the glare on the wall. So technology uh, is going to be huge. Okay, who's next? Speaking to that, box, I think the big thing for retailers in this next year to watch for is just to see how folks continue this sort of wave of this boom that we've had in furniture sales. You know, when people start getting back to regular life, when the vaccines come out, when people get more comfortable, a lot of folks are really concerned that that means that money that they were spending on home furnishings will go to other things that it has in the past. So I think the big thing you're going to see now is retailers are trying to find ways 
to keep folks interested. This was a record-breaking year for a lot of them in 2020, but records are made to be broken. And folks are going to be looking for new ways, be it technology, be it new promotions, be it new offerings. A lot of folks are mixing up their assortments, adding appliances, adding outdoor. So I think that'll be something really interesting to watch. And then hopefully in this first part of the year, a lot of folks are going to be really, really focused on just getting through that massive backlog they have. And in turn, dealing with cancellations and dealing with kind of keeping the good customers through all of this as they try to catch up and then continue to succeed in this new year. Interesting you mentioned new categories. I had a conversation with a top 100 who's looking to play in the Peloton and exercise equipment space because it has characteristics that are similar to furniture. Big product, requires delivery, in-home setup, fits the model, is looking to play in that space. So there's an exact example. Vicki, bring us home. Well, as I'm listening to everybody, and of course, as a managing editor, I'm all about bringing the pieces together anyway in the publication. But what I have found so interesting this year, and I think we're going to continue to see it, is these companies in the furniture industry have had to challenge their problem-solving skills in ways that they've never done before. There's so much that they can't change. They can't do anything about the labor market. They can't do anything about the supply chain issues, but they're still having to do business and finding ways to grow. And we have seen some remarkable problem-solving and some very creative solutions. And I think those solutions are going to change our industry forever. And I'm really excited to see where those things come up. What a perfect, upbeat, optimistic, hopeful view for the, the for 2021. I'm not going to add another word to that. On behalf of the entire staff of Furniture Today, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week when uh, Tom Russell and Powell Slaughter will bring you their On the Record, uh, their Homefront podcast. Take care. We're wishing you good business. <laughs>